Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to go this morning. There's a number of things stirring in my heart, as I'm sure there is for you about this coming year. And I tend to often approach things from this way. Like there's a lot of practicalities, as I said, of how can we build community and put, you know, put flesh on some of the things that the Lord's saying. But then there's often that broader perspective of the, the spiritual focus. What is, what's the Lord encouraging us in? How's he speaking to us? What's he leading us into this year? And so I want to turn to Psalm 24. I want to go through this wonderful psalm that hopefully is familiar to many of us and bring a few things out and just journey together as we set the scene for 2022. But before we get there, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a new year, which in some ways is just the changing of dates on a calendar. But at the same time, we recognize, Lord, that you are a God of times and seasons. And we want to, at all times, be a people who have ears to hear what it is that your Spirit is saying to us, that have eyes to see, not just the things around us, but to see things from your perspective. So, Father, I pray as we begin a new year together for your heart to be revealed to us. I pray, Lord, that you would break through in a way that just makes it crystal clear for each and every one of us what your will and what your purpose is personally, corporately, in the midst of all the other noise. Lord, may we hear so clearly the voice of the Good Shepherd leading and guiding his sheep this year. For, Father, we know that is what we need. Not just more news, not just more information. Lord, we need more of you more of your voice, more of your leading in our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, even this morning, we just desire to provide a platform for you to come and do whatever you desire to do. For the glory of your name, King Jesus, may you be honored in our midst today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the new year is here. I couldn't resist but sharing a little joke, which... Uh, Seemed particularly relevant for my family and I this particular year. But it's this. It says, youth is, youth is when you're allowed to stay up for New Year's. Middle age is when you're forced to. Anybody relate to that? We, I was telling someone before the service, we set the precedent last year with our young kids. After many years of them begging, please, can we stay up to see in the New Year? Please. So last year we did for the first time with somewhat of a sense of reluctance, and now we set a precedent. So, of course, they're expecting it this year, and we did stay up. We went and watched the 9 o'clock fireworks. Anyone see the fireworks? 9 or 12 o'clock? A few of us? It was great. It's really nice to be out somewhere <laughs> with other people watching fireworks, but it was good. It was a special time, and then we came home and saw in the new year. Sure enough, it arrived on time. In fact, one of my girls said, We'd stayed up as the anticipation and excitement. She looked at me, she said, Dad, it actually doesn't feel that much different. So I said, well, that's right, sweetheart. It's just a minute later on the clock and a new day and a new year has begun. But, you know, as I prayed, it is still important for us, I believe, at different moments, different times, the start of a new year being one of those, just to recalibrate, to refocus, to intentionally seek the Lord. And asking him, what, what do you have for us this year? What's, you know, is, it, is it status quo? Is it as per normal? Are there things that need to change? Is there perspectives? Is there you know, 
different aspects of what we're doing that you desire this year to move or to shape in a different way. So I want to read Psalm 24, as I said, and there's one particular encouragement for us in the midst of the year that's ahead that I want to hopefully encourage, exhort uh, us in and towards this morning. Psalm 24, Psalm of David, wonderful psalm. It begins this way. It says, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. It is. Not just it was, not just it will be. It, it is. It's a statement of declaration. It is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, just in case there was any mistaking his intention. The earth and everything in it, everything associated with it, the world, he goes on, and those who dwell therein. So not just the world, but all who live in the world, all the peoples of the world, verse 2. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Let's pause there for a moment. The earth is the Lord's. He made it. He created it. He established it from the beginning, and it will be until its final consummation. It is the Lord's. What a place to begin, not just every year with, but every morning, every rotation around the planet as day breaks, as sun sets to remind ourselves of that reality, particularly in seasons that we've come through where there's headlines, where there's 24-hour news cycles, where there's narratives that can make things seem a little crazy. And in many ways, they are, if you view things from our perspective. But here's the perspective of the Lord. It's all His. It was all about Him, and it will continue to be about Him forever, for all eternity. He holds, as the wonderful kids song used to say, He holds the whole world in His hands. He does. He is in control. He is in charge. There's nothing beyond his sovereignty. There's nothing that's happening today or that will happen tomorrow that is of any surprise to him. The earth is the Lord's. He's established it and he has created it. What a certainty and what a foundation that gives us. When we have a tendency to be caught up in all these other things, remind yourself, hey, this is all still within his hands. It's not beyond his grasp. It's not beyond his sovereignty. It's not beyond his purpose and the plan that he is outfold, unfolding around us. And he continues, so the earth is the Lord's. Verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Now let's just look at this invitation, this proclamation, this declaration. There's a tendency at times to view this particular verse as some kind of a description of a distance or a division. Who shall ascend? See, he's the high and mighty God, the, the lofty one. He's far away. And here are we at a great distance. Who, who could ever ascend? Who, who could ever arise to the place where God is? Or perhaps we look at that and think, well, this is some sort of an invitation to, to prove our worth, to earn our stripes. Who's really worthy of such an invitation? Can we work hard enough to accomplish and achieve this ascending or this arising to be with God? I want to give us another alternate 
interpretation of this particular invitation, rather than it being a distance and a division, I want to suggest that this is a destiny and a desire. It's his delight and it's what we were created for. It's what we were made for. It's what he paid the ultimate price for. Not for us to be kept at a distance. He's up high. We're down below, removed, unable to ascend. In fact, that is exactly what Christ came to accomplish, to invite us to come, to ascend, to be with him. His delight, but our destiny. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? How many verses in Scripture talk about this picture, this notion, this concept of arising or ascending? Adam preached recently about one of them. But Ephesians 2.6, it says that Christ raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I have no idea, but it sounds amazing. And it's a call to arise, isn't it? He's saying that's where you've been seated. Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, not just will be, Strive for the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Here's this concept again of ascending, arising, setting your minds on a higher perspective. Revelation 4.1. And if you want a title for this particular message and our theme this morning... You can find it here. It's where the Lord himself calls to the Apostle John and says, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. And he goes on and says, and I will show you the things that are yet to come. This call to come higher, this call to arise, ascend, this different perspective. And the encouragement is simply this. You know, we've been called to see things differently. You can't look at things from that kind of perspective and not have something shift in terms of that which you're seeing. In fact, the exact opposite is true, I believe. It's only as we ascend, it's only as we arise, it's only as we see things fully from his perspective that we truly gain the true perspective, the right perspective of the circumstances around us. I shared a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting out on our front porch as we love to do. I think it was perhaps two Saturdays ago and there was the huge storm that came across. Thunder, lightning, sheets of rain, just a spectacular sight. In the midst of all that were these eagles that were just soaring and ascending higher and higher. And it was like the bigger the storm brewed and came across, the higher the eagles soared. And in the midst of just seeing that, the, the Lord encouraged my heart. And the, the phrase that he gave me, which I shared, as I said some, some weeks ago, was simply this. It was, you know, Andrew, and this is for us, you were created to soar. You were created to soar. You were created to come up higher. You were created to ascend, not to live just down in the trenches, Feels like that at different times. And interestingly, this past week, we were sitting just yesterday morning with my wife, having a cup of coffee. It was morning this time. There was no storm around, clear skies. And all of a sudden, these two eagles were just 
circling around the valley that's in front of us. And I said, look at that. It's amazing. And I, I looked at my wife. I said, you know, every single day this week I've seen eagles just soaring around. Not an uncommon sight, but uncommon to see that many. And she looked at me and she said, that's amazing. I've seen them every day as well. In fact, yesterday I was walking around and there they were literally just hovering above the front paddock. And the funny thing about eagles, see, not only do we see them soaring, but our particular property backs onto a hill and often the eagles come to land for whatever reason. And in different pockets of the hill that's behind us, there's these territorial magpies. And it's quite a sight because as soon as they see the eagles coming down, or perhaps if the eagles have already landed, this mob of magpies, is that the correct word? Mob of kangaroos? Anyone know what a group of magpies is? A mob? There's a trivia question for later. Whatever a group of magpies is. And, and it's funny because these birds that are so majestic, as soon as they come down and they're in those close quarters, it's like the magpies, uh, magpies are so much more agile. So they hassle these birds and they fly around and eventually I think the eagles just get frustrated and they lift up and you know, open the wings and then off they go and soar. And the moment they do that, I mean... There's no hassling. There's, <laughs> magpies are left behind for good. And I feel like that's perhaps a picture of how the last season has felt for some of us. Certainly, I'll put myself in this category that we've been sitting there just feeling hassled, feeling stuff's coming around. And in some ways, that was the sense certainly I had for the year at the beginning of last year, 2021, where the Lord said, it's a year just to hold steady, like we've got to anchor in. And I think there's, there is purposes in those times. It's those times that the Lord builds foundations, that he strengthens things. But for me, the sense that I had this year as this year's begun, as the Lord has spoken to me, is that it's a year to spread wings. It's a year to come higher. It's a year to leave those hassles and the things that have just kind of kept us down in the trenches and distracted us from our true purposes and what the Lord has for us. It's time to leave them behind. It's time to ascend. It's time to come up. We're, we're being called this year to rise above. Fresh perspective, fresh calling, fresh encouragement in Him. See, here's the reality. We live in this tension of two kingdoms, and this is what it's so easy for us to forget at times. We've just come through Christmas. We've celebrated the coming of a Savior, a wonderful thing to do. We've reflected upon that, I pray and hope. But it wasn't just the coming of a Savior. It was the coming of a King. He came to establish a kingdom. In fact, the angel proclaimed uh, to Mary, he said, you call his name Jesus, and he will rule or he will reign on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will be a temporary kingdom, It'll, an everlasting kingdom. Come on, we know the prophecy, everlasting. It will never falter or fail. And then as Jesus began his ministry, Mark records this, uh, Matthew, Mark 1.15, for example, says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This picture of repentance, because the kingdom of God is at hand, it's being established now. It's not just coming, but the rule and the reign and the dominion of King Jesus 
has come. He's defeated death and his kingdom is here. He preached and proclaimed the kingdom. He told us to seek first the kingdom. And this is part of the heralding of the gospel. It's not just salvation. Salvation is wonderful. It's the center of the whole story. But he came to redeem and rescue us and herald the coming of a kingdom. A new age has dawned, a new era has begun that we're invited into. This kingdom that breaks through, as Isaiah prophesied, as John declares, like light piercing through the darkness. A kingdom that came to wage war on the power of darkness, taking captivity captive, delivering sons and daughters from the bondage of sin. It's a kingdom with a greater reality, a greater truth, and a greater assurance than any of the kingdoms of this world. It is the greater kingdom. It's the greater perspective and reality. Now, I know that we look around us and we see the kingdom of this world. And at times, it's hard for that not to capture our affection and our attention. But we live in a crucial moment and we need to respond by allowing not just the kingdoms of this world, but his kingdom, the kingdom of our God, to shape our attention, to drive our affections. Seek first. And you'll notice it's first on a list of one. Seek first his kingdom. And then all the other details. He'll take care of them. He loves you. He, he knows what it is that you need. So seek first his kingdom. Uh, we've watched a movie, my wife and I, the last week, in a bit, a bit of downtime that we've had, and I wouldn't recommend it. This is not a recommendation. Can I make that clear? This is an observation because it is a movie that has a, a few bits and pieces that are not particularly wholesome. But it's a movie called Don't Look Up. It's a new Hollywood blockbuster. It's got you know an all-star cast. Um, and as I said, it's, it's got some good moments in it. It's got some other borderline moments in it. In it. But it's a, a political satire. It's marketed as a, a comedy, but it's a very dry, comedic movie. Let's put it that way. The, the plot, very quickly, without giving away too much, is that a scientist and his assistant have discovered that a meteorite is about to crash into the Earth, and it is an extinction-level event. And that alone, being someone who loves a bit of sci-fi, a bit of... That grabbed my attention. I thought, this is great. We'll have a watch. And so this scientist and his assistant begin to try and tell everybody that, hey, a meteorite is coming. We've got six months to live before planet Earth is destroyed. But the funny thing is, nobody's really interested in listening. And so they take this message here, there, and everywhere. They eventually take it to the President of the United States, Meryl Streep, plays that particular character and does a great job and is very humorous at moments in a portrayal of a very narcissistic president who really only cares about politics and about what the polls are saying. And so as a part of her dealing with it, she comes up with this whole political campaign called Don't Look Up, which is where the movie gets its title from. Just, just don't look up. Just ignore it. Nothing's happening. There's nothing to see here. Meteorites, just don't look up. Just don't look up. We'll just all move on with our lives and pretend like nothing 
is happening. <clears throat> now, I mention the movie not just so that you can perhaps go and watch it if that interests you at all. But I, I, as I was watching that, I thought it's, it's funny sometimes how prophetic a Hollywood movie can be, how insightful. And I feel like we've been in a season where the master plan of the enemy has been exactly that. Just don't look up. Just get caught up in the stuff. Get caught up in the worldliness around you. Get caught up in the politics around you. Get caught up in the, the controversy that's around you. Just anything to prevent you from looking up. Just don't look up. Just get caught up in all the stuff. Just pretend like nothing else is, is happening there. And don't even desire to look into any deeper issues. And in the midst of that, the invitation, as I said, the title this morning, the drawing of the Lord, is simply this. Come up here. Come up here. Come and ascend the hill of the Lord. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? It's, it's an invitation. It's a longing from the Lord. Will anybody hear me? And this is not just for the, the one or two people. I love that it goes on and it says, this is the generation of those who seek him. God's saying this is not just the individuals. This is for the, you know, the odd person here. This is for everybody that he rejoices over with love. He's saying, look up, come up here. This is a season we need to arise. We need to ascend. We need to grab a hold of heaven's perspectives that we might see things clearly. It's time to spread the wings and get out of the trenches. It's time to leave the magpies behind, the little pecks and the, the little things that have perhaps left us frustrated and irritated more than we'd like to admit. And it's time to come up higher. New perspectives, new strategies going higher. We're meant to be otherworldly, living in his kingdom. So very quickly, let's get through the psalm because... I know we've camped on the one word, but I just want to finish it off and then we'll bring it to a conclusion. It says, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? See, what an invitation that is. That's who we're called to be, to ascend, to stand in his holy place, to know his heart, to be enraptured and caught up in the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of who he is. Hearts just continually on flame and bursting with love for him. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. So very quickly, we've looked at the promise, we've looked at the invitation, but what, what is the pathway? What is the means? Clean hands and a pure heart is what the psalmist tells us. Now that should strike us. It's so striking to think of how God sees things. So he doesn't say, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, it's the latest and the greatest. It's the cutting edge. It's the trendy. It's the insta-savvy. It's the influences. In fact, it's not even anyone who's considered in the eyes of the world as significant or special in any specific way. It's the humble. It's the lowly. It's clean hands and a pure heart. What does it mean to have clean hands in God's sight? Literally, the word clean, it comes from 
A Hebrew word which means innocent, blameless, clean, clear, innocent, free, guiltless, etc. Do you get the picture? It means completely clean. Well, how on earth are we to accomplish that? Is this a work sermon? Is this something that right a new year is upon us? We need to work harder. Work harder, people. Come on. Clean yourself up. Hopefully most of you have been around long enough to know that that's not the gospel. In fact, that's the opposite of the gospel, isn't it? He came to clean up those who could never clean themselves. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Here it is. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the invitation to come and be cleansed by his blood. See, so often we have this, we have this picture. I was thinking how to describe it. And it's been a season at my place, maybe your place as well, where there's been a lot of bugs. Anybody notice just how many bugs there is? I think it's the weather and the wetness. And we were there at the, uh, the fireworks. I had to keep my mouth closed because the Christmas beetles were... Not quite sure exactly why, but around our house, there's lots of different animals. In fact, we've got um, four, well, all four of our girls. They are terrified of spiders. So this morning... I heard squeals as I got up and I was making my coffee and one of the girls was there in the hallway and there was a spider on the roof. She said, Daddy, I'm not going to move anywhere until you deal with the spider. So I did. I, I dealt with the spider. And there's nothing like spiders for scream value, but there's nothing like slugs for just gross value. Anyone had the slugs this year with slugs on the floor, these big? I mean, that's, that's a question for the Lord, isn't it? I'm sure we won't care when we're up there, but Lord, why slugs? Is there a purpose to slugs? I'm sure there is somewhere. Someone will enlighten me after the sermon. What's the purpose of slugs? But if ever there's a slug, you know, I, I lift it up and you just hear the, the groans of disgust. Ah! Even when it's 15 foot outside the door. Ah! I said, sweetheart, it's gone. It's outside. It's just the thought of it. Ah! It's disgusting. It's gross. But I, I think sometimes we have the same sense with the Lord of that's how he deals with us and our sinfulness. It's like the slug of, ah! Oh, just, oh, okay, quick, let's, let's do, do something. Let's do something about the grossness and the disgustingness. You know, there's this heart of Christ as he came. And he came with tenderness, mercy, kindness, and goodness. In fact, the people that he was attracted to the most were who? He said, I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. His first response was always to move towards sin, to embrace us in the middle of our mess, with compassion towards lepers, the unclean, the broken, the hurting. I've been reading a great little book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, the Heart of Christ. And he says, it's like this. Imagine if you were a, a, a world-famous doctor, but you had this desire to bring your medicine to, to un, you know, un medical people groups in the middle of the jungle somewhere and you'd paid your own way, your own expense, you'd brought all your gear, you knew there were some treatable diseases there and finally you found some sick people that you could treat. What would your response be? Not to shun them and turn, they're the people that you came for. They're the very ones that you paid your own way to come and like that fills your heart with joy. There's nothing you love more than bringing healing to sick people. 
You know, there's nothing more that he loves that brings greater joy than coming to us, than embracing us in our mess, than cleansing us of our sin, than revealing the greatness and the depths of his mercy and kindness towards us. That is who he is. This is not an invitation, clean hands, to try harder. It's an invitation to trust harder. We lift up not the banner of our works and our self-righteousness. We lift up the cup of his grace, drinking deeply the mercy and the freedom that is found there. It says, clean hands and a pure heart. What does this mean? Is it that the heart's more than the seat of our emotions? It's the centrality of who we are, our very motivations. Spurgeon put it this way. I love this quote. He says, true religion is heart work. It's heart work. In other words, true religion is not just to conform the externals into some kind of mold, but it's to transform the internals. Now, let's be honest for a moment. How many of us can honestly say that we've come through the past season where motives and motivations have been tested? And you could honestly say, you know what? I've kept a pure heart before the Lord. That's, that's the definition of who, it's just complete purity, just pureness. Pureness, all this stuff, just pureness. Maybe you're a little bit more like me, if I'm honest, and this past week, just in the natural, I've been doing some things around the block, as I like to do, and I tend to, at times, this is a moment of you know, confession, but I tend to get a little relaxed about showering, much to my wife's disgust. But I kind of figure I'm out and about, and I'm you know, shoveling manure, and What's the point in having a shower? I might as well just keep going. Keep going for a few days and then eventually when the job's done, you know, then we have a shower. But I, a couple of these days and it was like that. It was hot and it was sweaty and it was smelly. And to be honest, I had a shower and it was, it was like, oh, I just lost my tan. <laughs> like there was layers of dirt that I hadn't even really realized that I'd accumulated from being out and being around in dirty environments. And the same is true for us. I love what it says in... It's written here somewhere, and I'll find it. Somewhere. Where it talks about purifying our hearts with the water of his word. That's the passage. Someone can look it up for me later. We come to him acknowledging our need for his cleansing and say, Lord, give us clean hands Give us pure hearts. Let's move on quickly. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Some translations say do not lift up his soul to idols. Anything that takes us from him as the greatest prize, that takes even a fraction of the affection and attention he deserves is idolatry. It's what he's looking for. He's looking for a wholehearted people, a people who recognize his worth and his value who desire him and treasure him above all other things. Now, what, what is our greatest passion? What is it? Is it the wealth of the world or is it the riches of grace that he offers? What has the greater appeal? Is it the pleasures that this world offers? Or is it the pleasures that are found at God's right hand? What is the desire and the delight 
of our hearts. We said before, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God. This is what he's looking for. A people who will ascend the hill of the Lord, who will take their stand in his holy place. And then we finish off here, and I love this because it's part promise, it's part proclamation, but for me, there's a part of this that is participation. He's saying, come up, ascend, take your place, seek the face of God. And then there's this incredible exhortation as the psalm finishes. So then lift up your heads and be lifted up that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, lift them up our ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Isn't that his desire as Habakkuk stood there Like, God, where are you? What is going on? And then he sees who God is and he says, God, let your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, let there be that day. Isn't that the longing of our hearts? Not just for us to ascend his hill, to come higher, to experience all the wonder and might and majesty of who he is, but for us to then be the gatekeepers who can lift up our heads and proclaim with the psalmist, come, King of glory, come. Come, King of glory, until the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Let that be our prayer. Let that be the promise we hold on to. Let that be our pursuit this year. Can we get Beth? Where's Beth gone? Come and... Can we get an Amen. Amen. I'm sure we could do better than that, but I know it's warm. The year's beginning. It's our invitation this year that we would come up here, that we would ascend. It's a year to go higher. It's a year of fresh perspective. It's a year of fresh promise and purpose. It's a year to leave behind some of the the things that have been hanging around. And I want to pray into that just for a few moments. If you want to just close your eyes as we bring this service. So we conclude our time together. So Father, we want to just posture our hearts before you as we begin this year, as we begin the journey together, all that you have in store for us. And I want to pray, Lord, that this would be a year. This is part prayer, part just proclamation. It would be a year where we grab a hold of that wind of your Spirit under our wings, where you lift us higher. I pray for new heights. I pray for new perspective. Lord, I pray particularly for any of us this morning where there's been stuff that has hassled us, that has harassed us, that has held us back in previous seasons. I pray for a capacity to to look past the immediacy of some of those things, not in denial of them, but with that desire to be lifted higher that we might have right perspective of the issues and the stuff that's around us. Father, as we began the service, may this be a year where our proclamation, where our declaration, 
for our testimony is this is a year where the Lord God himself was in our midst, was in the midst of his people, where there's an undeniable reality of his power and presence amongst us, rejoicing over us with joy. The whirlwind of his love and the whisper that calms and quietens and keeps us in the center of his purpose and plan. Well, let's pray this morning where there, there just needs to be a, a shaking off of stuff. That anything, Lord, that's hanging around that's not of you would be gone. And I pray even now just for a fresh wind of your spirit to blow. Come, Holy Spirit, blow upon us. Lift us high. Lift us high. Lift us high. Give us new perspective. Seated in heavenly places. I pray that in your wonderful name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.